nomine Patris, Fili, Spiritu Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Mater Dei ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Nomine Patris, Fili, Spiritu Sancti. Amen. Brethren Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. This is Timothy Flanders with the meaning of Catholic, Jesus is King. It's the Terror of Demons morning show. Joined, as always, by co-host Kennedy Hall and co-host Jeremiah Bannister. It's Jeremiah, true. how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I've missed you like crazy. I think I say that every time, though. Yeah, well, I we think I say to... every time that I miss you guys, because it's been too long, man. We've got some special, mm. special stuff coming from Jeremiah and Kennedy on Meaning of Catholic mm -hmm. this week, God willing. So stay tuned. Anything either of y'all want to say about that? Yes. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I started a new venture with the Crusade Channel. New show coming out July 19th. We'll put the link in the show notes, Tim, to sign up. Uh, people have asked how to support. You know, do you have a Patreon, etc.? No, I've got a new show. And you can sign up there uh, to help, help keep that going. And um, we're going to live stream some of the broadcasts on me, a Catholic, to give you a little taste, but only about an hour or so. And then if you want to hear the rest, you got to sign up to hear the rest, you know. And um, we'll also be uploading some of those so you can hear some really good uh, conservative talk, but we're all Catholic. So it's not an apologetic show. It's not uh, Catholic radio per se, but we're going to talk about social issues from the perspective of traditional and faithful Catholics. Uh, which is good because we need to hear that. We need to deal with the, the natural realm, let's call it that. So we got to see what's going on. And I know Jeremiah's done a bunch of this in the past as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And I'll make sure on my Twitter, et cetera, that I'll put out notifications when that's going to come up. Yeah, so the link below for Kennedy's show, Join the New Crusade. So sign up for that. Jeremiah, anything you want to share for your things that are coming up as well? Yes. Well, I've been doing a lot of thinking, man, because I, I fell off the map all the way right and it was it was with great intention and did this kind of digital minimalist hiatus retreat sort of thing i read a book about it because man I, I it got pretty bad pretty wicked bad my my take on modern tech modernity in general right like the whole world i'm like let it burn i'm done i'm out <laughs> man and it was bad it was it was defeatist in fact right and so inside my heart it was so i needed to step away and i did and during that time, made a lot of sacrifices, right? Uh, using social, uh, um, the internet only insofar as I actually had to, right? And so if I needed to look up something, if I needed, it, and learning the difference between impulse and, and necessity. And during that time to reflect on what I want to do with my life and my work. Because I got pretty tired, man, of doing every day talking about current events because it's like flash in the pan. The stuff's gone. Mm -hmm. Two days later, who's going to want to watch what happened last thursday i mean nobody cares they're gonna be like so you're gonna see that that number count just dwindled to drop fast and that was that was a bummer to me because i was investing a lot of time and energy so i started looking stuff up started thinking it through and and said to myself you know i want to do stuff that's like they got it has longevity i want to have do something that makes an impact that people will go to for even years to come but i also still want to do news too and so i thought about it and i wanted my cake and i want to eat it too I figured the best way to do that was to contact Tim Flanders. <laughs> so I caught him, I messaged him, said, let's have, let's have a, a talk for a second. We talked about it. And long story short, I'm going to be hosting a show at Meaning of Catholic. And you actually proposed this man 
a while ago. You proposed this, uh, that, that I do that. And so it's going to be Paleocrat Diaries minus the, the rap at the beginning. <laughs> we, we're taking it out <laughs> my, minus all of the, the trolling Illuminati images at the beginning. And, and minus he's going to check his Freemasonry at the door. Yeah. I'm checking it at the door. It's done guys. I'm I'm out for that was a joke. That was a joke. Yeah. 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 And so it's going to be, um, uh, going to be that, but it's going to be about different topics, but more than that. And the last thing is that I'm behind the scenes, other than writing, one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to, to put together series on stuff like the book enthusiasm. I've mentioned it a number of times here, but I want to make it, uh, as a documentary style thing where it's, it's got where I'm directing scenes where I, I do layouts and I do storyboards and stuff like that, set up interviews where maybe I even go and speak to them in person, set up lighting and stuff like that. Uh, much better than the lighting is right now. <laughs> but the thing is, is that these are things I wanted to do and I want to do it meaning of Catholic. And so I'll still make my own stuff on my own site. Um, but I'm going to be here and maybe once or twice a week, uh, starting this week, I just got to find music, man. I got to find music so I can play that, that, that super dope bass drop in classical music that you have at the beginning. So yeah, yeah. Just, just so everyone knows that was not Jaws at the beginning. In fact, it was Dvorak's ninth symphony, fourth movement, which is called the new world symphony. Cause this uh, Dvorak, I think he was Czech. Uh, he came over to America, which is the subject of today's show, and he studied American music, and he came up with this symphony called the New World Symphony. <clears throat> so it has a very American kind of style to it, but uh, I, I think Jaws was probably based on it. But anyhow. It sounded but, like it. So it today's like show it. is America Has It Failed? Question mark. This is a subject we've covered on a very number of different topics. There's a whole playlist that I just linked on the show notes called America and Americanism. And so the question is, once again, every year we can reflect on this for the July. We also have Canada Day. Shout out to Canada Canadians, uh, July 1st, uh, Dominion Day. There we go. Uh, so we have a, a foreign illegal immigrant whose opinion matters. Most. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an immigrant. I can't cross the border. <laughs> okay. Well, the uh, so the, wh- why are we talking about America? What does that have to do with the Catholic Church? Well, Benedict the Sixteenth, in fact, told us why that is so important. He says this. <clears throat> so this is from the the infamous Hermeneutic of Continuity address in two thousand five. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says this about the post war period after World War Two. Quote: People came to realize that the American Revolution was offering a model of a modern state that differed from the theoretical model that radical tendencies that had emerged during the second phase of the French Revolution. So, so Benedict XVI is saying, hey, the, all the church's opposition to modernity came because the French Revolution was so bad. So the church was, was very militantly against modernity because of the French Revolution. But then after World War II, the American empire won the war. They're pro-Catholic. They're exporting Fatima movies on Hollywood. And people came to realize that, well, hey, we could give this another chance because the Americans are pretty religious, even though they're kind of a quote unquote secular state. He goes on, especially after the Second World War, Catholic statesmen demonstrated that a modern secular state could exist that was not neutral regarding values, but alive, drawing from the great ethical sources opened by Christianity. So the idea is that America provides this model 
for the Catholic Church to throw in their lot in some way with modernity, as was the case for the past few generations since the Second World War. So the question before us, and this is just going to be an open conversation. We're just going to talk, whatever. If y'all want to, viewers want to add your questions, comments, just add at meaning of Catholic. We can put those on the screen and discuss them. So the question is, did the American Revolution provide the model way back in 1776? Did that provide the model for the secular state that's not neutral towards values? Has the American experiment, as they call it, provided the model in its history since then until now that it's not neutral towards values? Is the post-war dream still possible at this point? Uh, was Did the Catholic Church succeed in promoting sort of some sort of Americanism, which is a pro-Catholic version of that. These are all the questions that we have. And it also looks to the future because here we are in 2021. We're facing the great reset, freedom, brave new world, whatever is coming next. Now that everything has changed in America as well. So that is the question before us. What's the future? So Jeremiah, yeah, what are your thoughts? No. <laughs> no, um, America is not the example of this. The, the idea that, for one, we, we need to get this out of the way. There's no neutrality. I mean, it, the idea that you have a neutral state is itself a religious uh, presupposition. In fact, it's based on a number of religious presuppositions. Uh, most significantly, the state's responsibility to subject itself to Christ the King. So, you know, Catholics understood this. <laughs> There's no reason why we should we should go toward this kind of Newtonian Freemasonic conceptualization of governments and states and statesmen and, uh, uh, you know, whether it's a contract or a covenant. And there's a distinction between these. And so, you know, I don't see why we would use America as that model. I think there were there were prescient minds. You don't have to be a prophet to be able to see how this stuff plays itself out to say, look, if you begin with these assumptions regarding neutrality, if you if you begin with these assumptions regarding the state remaining aloof and saying we're not going to get too involved and we're not we're not going to uh, select or give preference in one one direction or another. And there's not going to be any kind of religious test um, for one. Um, you wouldn't need to be a prophet in order to see how that's going to play itself out. But. You could also simply say it was extraordinarily novel, right? And our idea toward novelty should have automatically placed us placed this on the um, don't get close to it model, right? Like, like this is not good. We base things off of what we we have experienced as things have developed over time through through the ages with minds and hearts and, and souls much greater than our own and say, why would we then go and base it off of something that's that's new that's exp uh, experimental um, and say this right here is not, I, I say no, <laughs> long, long, long story short, no. But, you know, the thing is, there's this, this idea that because of the economic flourishing that America experienced, because of the economic flourishing and because for a time there was, there was uh, predominantly a Protestant religion that was tolerant of other religions, that this would just remain this way, that there would be this growth that would happen and people would continue to be religious. And some of the founders embraced that too. They said, you, you'll be able to have this, um, this system of government, but it's really made for a religious people, 
right? And so there, there wasn't this assumption that, well, this is going to lead to major problems. Uh, but again, the, um, I don't think it takes a profit in order to see how this would play itself out. And as we found ourselves now. It, it seems like uh, Kennedy, we've talked a little bit about this. There's the post, we, we can call Vatican II the post, post-war council because it was looking at a post-war world where America was very much in the ascendancy as a pro, at least a, a, a pro-religious nation. And it seems like it's also the case in the 1990s after the fall of the Soviets. There's sort of a, a further ascendancy of America as, as sort of the victor over in the Cold War. Uh, they're pro. I mean, we've, we've got the moral majority going, going on in, in the 80s and 90s. There's a strong Christian ethos being promoted. Uh, why can't, I mean, Kennedy, why can't the Catholic Church kind of throw in their lot with this pro, uh, pro-Christian message? Well, I think I want to comment uh, to add a little bit more context to what Jeremiah said as well. Um, the founding of America, and one of the reasons why it's distinctly different in some ways than the revolution in France, is because... Um, the revolution in France, the European revolutions in general, they're almost an, they're 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 a forced retrofit of a system that doesn't work on a Catholic society. Um, whereas America really was a, I mean, yes, there were pockets of of native civilization, um, but especially in northern parts and in Canada, I mean, estimates two hundred thousand maybe First Nations people in the entire country. <laughs> like my province is three times bigger than Texas, and it's one province. Uh, you could walk for months without seeing somebody. So really, you were building a new society. So. You know, you look at the principles of republicanism and they look really good on paper from a natural perspective. If you know, if you're given the benefit of the doubt to the principles behind those founders. So for a while, of course, you're going to have uh, social cohesion, uh, the basic way of life, because you're going to have to be an enterprising, conscientious and moral person in order to operate. You're going to have to have some sort of social integrity because you're doing a lot of things on good faith. This is why these countries, of course, are going to have periods of prosperity and morality. Let's be honest, from a general compared to now, from a general perspective, um, they don't devolve in the same way in the radical sort of um, um, anti-Catholic way that places in Europe did because they weren't reacting to an overlord that was there. They were reacting to restraints against doing what they wanted to do for their own place. It was almost a different mentality of what you're reacting against. Um, and also uh, the British Empire was already Protestant. Uh, so there wasn't the same spirit of revolution for the same reasons as there was in a place like France. Um, anyway, so as far as... Um, as far as as why the Catholic Church can't or can get involved with this sort of thing, well, at the end of the day, it's always a matter of prudence where you throw your lot in as a Catholic uh, politician or uh, church organization, etc. Because governments look different in different places all the time. You know, living as a Catholic in Roman Empire is different than living as a Catholic now, even though there are lots of similarities. The moral debauchery and the ascendancy of paganism is similar. Uh, but the governmental structure and the way that you operate is radically different. So uh, can the church throw its lot in? Well, if you find yourself in America and you think that in your locality you can work with somebody of goodwill that seems to have principles that will help your, your, your flock flourish, then you might make that decision to throw your lot in. But one of the issues what we see consistently in America and in Canada and other places as well is uh, we put too much emphasis on the federal. 
So sure, perhaps in a, in a place like Nebraska, the Catholic Church has always had a pretty good place in Lincoln. I mean, it's still to this day, there's something unique about that place. There's something about the local culture. Other places in the Midwest are very Catholic and Catholics kind of built those areas. It seems to work. But when you try to apply that to the whole country, it's like, well, you got to balance everything from L.A. to New York to uh, whatever other swamp you find. And uh, it's not going to work. And you're going to have to bend the knee and be corrupted and so on and so forth. So like the, like the history of America itself, the Catholic Church finds itself in those those uh, the messy uh, specificities of how that plays out, and you see this constant uh, back and forth between federalism and the, and the contrary. So I think the Church is kind of just showing us what that looks like from a different institution. I wanted to say, too, real quick, you know, Kennedy brings up something awesome about you know, in the beginning, how there was a lot of similarity. There was a kind of a cohesion with this, social cohesion. John Jay says it, right? In fact, it's one of the assumptions that the Federalists had in the case being made for federalism was that we are the, the people in this country, in this land, were made for each other. I think, it's, I think it's Federalist Papers 10. At that time, you had largely one religion largely one language, largely similar customs, traditions, courtesies, the same race, by and large, from the same parts of the earth, by and large. And you can see this in the architecture. You can see it in the art, the social interactions, the institutions, the hierarchy that we have. Um, and these, But there were certain assumptions that were bound to, to fail as well. And some of those, for example, would be representation, right? That the idea that you can maximize on the one hand uh, being a, a representative of yourself, this kind of <clears throat> self-governance, and yet at the same time, this notion that you're going to represent a large block of people. You know, as soon as you, as soon as you represent somebody else to that degree, you're either a carbon copy of them, or insofar as you deviate from that representation, you're no longer representing and so you're going to go and say, well, okay, especially if the if the ultimate standard is is self-governance, right? If that's the if that's the core theme of this. Then the moment you have a representative, that person, if they differ from you, they're deviating from representation. You end up getting, let's say, you know, ten thousand people in the mix. The idea that you even have a representative is phony baloney. I mean, it just is. And so once you get to the place where you begin to say, you know, and and you you hear how you have to mythologize certain things like uh the people when people say the people have spoken baloney there's no such thing as that yeah. you know uh I, i'm here to represent the people no you're not you're here to represent yourself and people like you but even people like you disagree on key concepts mm -hmm. and you're going to represent them in only the broadest sense but i think another thing and people should think about this is that every high culture in history started this way you know you can go back the greeks the romans you got the, the Chinese, you got India, you've got the Brit, the Brits, you got all these different people. They start out in these small groups, right? Largely agrarian too. And, and as time goes and they're, they're reflecting inwardly. And then over time they get bigger and bigger and bigger and start becoming more economically minded, more scientifically minded, technologically minded. And as this begins to happen, you see the same exact things happen. Catholics should have given our assumptions of history, tradition, and how we evaluate things. We should have been able to look at that and seen the writing on the walls for this. And that's what lets, that's what bums me out about when you, you know, the way this debate is gone and decisions that have been made. Here's a here's a question. Um, so I'm going to quote from Longiqua Oceani. 
Leo the Thirteenth, eighteen ninety-five, one of two uh, encyclicals to America. And so in 1895, he says this, that your republic is progressing, America, he's talking to the American bishops, that your republic is progressing and developing by giant strides is patent to all. And this holds good in religious matters also, for even as your cities in the course of one century have made a marvelous increase in wealth and power, so do we behold the church from scant and slender beginnings grown with rapidity to be great and exceedingly flourishing. And the reason I bring that up is, there is a greatness, I think, about America in terms of the opportunity given to an immigrant. And one of the best examples of this is um, uh, Pierre Toussaint in New York City. He comes, he's a, he's a slave in, ha- in Haiti. He's, he flees the Haitian Revolution. He eventually, eventually escapes slavery and he becomes this saint. And he's buried at St. Patrick Cathedral and he becomes an entrepreneur. So he, because of the American system as it is, even in the early 19th century, he's able to create a business, create wealth for himself, help the poor, help with the other immigrants who scraped together. All the Catholic immigrants in, in America scraped together because they were able to function in a somewhat freer economy, maybe than the motherland, scraped together enough money to raise up these cathedrals. Uh, do you, Would you agree that there is there is a certain sheltering for the immigrant in many cases uh, from various forms of oppression or whatever to be able to freely have the mass as opposed to back in England at the time, Catholicism was illegal in 1776 becomes legal in America. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, though, but Immigration is a touchy subject, and this is, for example, you see this big difference between um, conservative-minded people. I know some people, the word conservative means 50 different things, just as a category, okay? Conservative-ish people, okay? We're in that category, I don't know, everything from neocons to nationalists, whatever. The point is, conservative-minded people disagree on uh, matters of immigration, for example, in Europe, as than they would here a lot of the time, um, because... It's not as if there's not enough space left in a place like Europe. There's still tons of empty space and, and whatever. But they have entire nations built around bloodlines. It's a real thing. I mean, French are Franks. You know, Bavarians are literally Bavarians. Anglo-Saxons are actually Saxons mm-hmm. uh, historically. So their customs are not the same as, as Polish. Their customs are not the same as, as Hungarians and so forth. And when you have customs, and Aquinas tells us somewhere, you know, in one of his 50,000 pages. Custom basically has the force of law. You do things in a place because it's custom. You don't work at whatever. In Italy, for example, today, the shops still close. One day a week, you're still supposed to close your shop. It's a custom uh, in middle of the week, not just Sunday, middle of the week, even though they've lost the faith in, in many cases, they do it because you do that because it gives the guy in the other shop in town a busy day. You have a busy day. It's just sort of a handshake thing they've always done. It's custom. You would never change it because that's how it is. My point is, Customs are so strong in Europe that immigration is actually very difficult to do within Europe. And we still see that today. They can never really have it without having major tensions. And even in a place like Italy to this day, centrists and moderates will be anti-mass immigration, even though they're socially liberal in other places. For here, Canada, United States, Latin America as well, it was wide open for the most part. 
So it makes sense to have immig immigrants come because you have to if you want to populate the place to a degree where you can have a civilization that functions in the same way as in Europe. Also, people from different places, think about the Canadian context and like that shared geography, Minnesota, Alberta, uh, Wisconsin, Saskatchewan, those places around the Dakotas, Ukrainians and Germans uh, and people from the Eurasian steppe went there in droves because they had a similar type of climate and they could farm those places. Uh, Asians went to, to um, California. Uh, Chinese and Japanese, et cetera, because they had irrigation systems that would work with similar types of climates. You had to have immigration. It made perfect sense to do so to build the country up. But after a period of time, so at that time, it's open. You're basically making your own customs. This is why Little Italy is so cool and Chinatown is so cool. But after a period of time, you actually do end up having something like the American or the Californian or the Wisconsin or the or the Ontarian, whatever province state you're in. You do have your own customs. Now, all of a sudden, you see tensions coming in. And this is why today, uh, you know, one of the only politicians I believe is good in Canada is uh, Maxime Bernier. He's a, basically a patriot nationalist, um, socially kind of moderate, but he's just very common sense on his government. Um, and he says, I'm not anti-immigrant. I'm just very specific about immigration. He says, our nation was built through immigration for the most part, but now it's actually a place with unique cultures where conflicts will arise if we're not careful with the type of people that mix. And if you put this on the micro scale, we all know this. There's certain people I don't want to have at my house because I don't like them. <laughs> I, you know, and, and, but we all have that, you know, it could be. So if you have, um, on the macro, it's like, well, then you're going to have a lot of people in your house that you don't, don't agree with. You can't get along with. And what happens if you can't get along for long? Well, you have problems. So yes, was there a sheltering and a necessity for immigration in the North American experiment? Of course there was. Uh, but 200, 300 years later, now you have places with cultures and customs, and now we're seeing major conflict. So it's important for people to understand that there's going to be tension as the as we shift our mindset and how that's supposed to look. And foreign influence, man, like it's one thing, this melting pot concept, right? That people come, they, in fact, if people are familiar with the oath that individuals take when they come here and become a citizen, they're supposed to disavow their allegiance to foreign countries. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's, that's one of those things. It's not like, well, I'm both. I mean, the hyphenated American is kind of a funky thing. It, it really is. I mean, it, it, it smacks in the face of the oath that they took when they raised their right hand, which goes to show just how sloppy this is. <laughs> you know, you, you, you swear an oath and then you walk out and you join you join a political network of people that are isolated. Right. That are uniquely identified uh, with that. It's inevitable, though. It's inevitable. And again, every high culture. Every single one, as it devolves and becomes economic and spreads around and goes to adventurism and other places, you begin to have more of this economic exchange that brings in other cultures, immigration, because people want to go to where there's prosperity, uh, where there's security, they, or they're brought in because they were conquered, right? And now they're part of the group, and it's causing tensions. And this happens every time. And, you know, you ask, was it a good idea? You know, to, to look at the, the flourishing, you know, when the Pope wrote that, uh, talking about the flourishing of Catholics in the United States of America. And I would say, yes, but there's a price tag to that. And the price tag to that is, are we advancing uh, the cause of restoration, which was a legitimate concern of a lot of Americans, which is why they were so scared of JFK, for example, of all people. But they were literally scared of the guy. And they're like, are you going to are you going to you like change america or is america you know changed you are you going to listen to the pope over there or are you going to do what's over here because ultimately and that that's an admission 
that's an admission that there's an antagonism and even I would say an enmity between the two. And of course, he said, well, no, I'm, I'm good. You guys are good, <laughs> you know, but are you going to reform that place or are you going to be absorbed? And immigration was restricted at first. It was people from countries that were at least culturally more similar. They shared their view, the same views of the Trinitarian God. Right. And it was through economic matters, strictly speaking, you know, we're talking about whether it's the railroad or whatever or or war expanding again, high culture turning into civilization, expanding down into the south, down into Mexico, where you start to see the the increased numbers of people. Right. Racially different. Language is different. They shared Trinitarian assumptions. Right. Being Catholic. Well, at least in Mexico. But you're seeing how this plays itself out. And how over time uh, it's going to it's going to lead us to exactly where we are now, where the number one issue that was when Trump was running in 2016, the number one thing was immigration. That's why people were chanting, build the wall. They weren't saying, you know, tax returns, you know, <laughs> lower our taxes. They weren't saying that they were talking about immigration because they felt as though immigration had become parasitical. Well, and I want to add, we're at an interesting place right now. I have a other theory. I know this show is about USA mainly, but I think we're going through, I think we're having a coming of age in Canada. We've never really had a, an actual national civil conflict before the way you guys have had a couple, couple of those. Um, Canada is so broken and, and it's almost as if it's almost as if something like sentiments around civil war are brewing amongst, I don't think it'll happen in a violent sense, but in a, almost a cold war sense in the country, we're kind of there anyway, that's all the thing. But what I'm noticing out of this whole thing is if you don't have the kingship of Christ, if you don't have, well, not even that, if you don't have a national religion, you can have a false religion, but it's a national religion and you actually have social cohesion. We see this in certain Asian countries. We see this in the Middle East. Um, you, this is why the the, the, the pagan uh, emperors would be so insistent on having the national cult of the emperor and so forth. There really is, I mean, it's 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 a mythology, it's, a, it's an ethos, but it binds the people under pain of sin, whatever that means. So we don't have that. So what do you have? Well, we've seen this before. We've seen this in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, whatever. When you have, uh, when you get rid of the metaphysical reason that binds the people, you look to physical and natural reasons. Hence why we have critical race theory. Hence why we have uh marxist naturalist uh atheistic reasons that pop up over that's why we have national socialism historically and so forth even in europe on the right you have things that are well-intentioned but flawed like identitarianism uh, which basically become a sort of racialism and then it gets a little messy and you get the problems um right now what we're seeing is um if we don't have the the, the national folklore at least that unites the people for the common metaphysical cause then you're going to have a rise of distinct forms of nationalism nationalism can be really good it can be good if it's the nation like polish nationalism is pretty good because it's catholic polish nationalism uh but uh racial based nationalism is bad because obviously it's materialist it's anti what the gospel tells us about you know baptism same family and so on and so forth so we have major issues right now. I believe we're entering into a place where um, it's inevitable amongst the right and amongst the left. You're going to see breakaway groups that they're going to get so fed up with the um, with the fracturing country ideologically. There will be no way to unify people. It's true. Practically right now, there is no way to unify people yeah. on national yeah. folklore because people have different concepts of reality. Yeah. 
and it's going to break away. We see it on the left with the movements. We know what they are. We're going to start on, even though on the right, we try to say, no, we're not that. We're not that. We're not that. It's going to happen. It's a historical inevitability. And um, I'm, I'm worried about what that's going to look like because I, I, I'm 33 years old. Guys younger than me, I, I, I converse with and stuff. A lot of them are on the brink of, of, of falling for certain ideas because they're so fed up with what's happening in the country and no one wants to hear them. Nobody wants to hear, uh, to, to, to do anything, but they deem moral, et cetera. When people are pushed to the brink, they're going to start to do funny things. So I mean, it's been interesting and sad to see, in my opinion, what's going to come down the pike. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, bring up one of the questions that came into the chat and please, uh, viewers, please put any chat questions you want to discuss. And that is subsidiarity. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a, a theory of subsidiarity among the founding of America uh, called federalism, which is where there's just this local rule, um, which is kind of what was the main, I mean, we could probably boil down the main grievance of the American revolution to a, uh, a defense of subsidiarity in the sense that the English crown was overreaching itself as it had not done before. And so there's a general grievance of, we want to continue to rule ourselves the way we were before subsidiarity. So in, in a sense, we can, we can say that was great, but the problem is from 1776 at first you have the articles of confederation, which basically reestablished the same local rule as it was before. But then that was abolished by 1789 with the uh, present American constitution. The present American constitution gives more power to the federal government than the English crown had before the revolution. So they've already lost by 1789, they've already lost the power that they had. So, I mean, this is within a generation, the local rule is already eroding. And so, and then this gets really were a lot worse after this, the second civil war, shall we say the 1860s, uh, Lincoln and the, the federal government just takes over all the states. And then there's just a, a, a huge revolution of federal power at that point. And now we come to today where we're at the point where I mean, an American president has so much power. But as we saw with Trump, he's also not the one in control. It's uh, Twitter and Facebook. They're the ones who are actually calling the shots. And the American president is just a just a puppet. I miss Twitter on Trump or Trump on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the subsidiarity thing, you know. Well, first, let me say this, um, you know real quickly about something Kenny said is I've, I already believe, and I've, I've talked about this on my show that we are in fact already, and we have been for a while in a cold civil war that when civilizations get so uh, balkanized, so divided with internal groups and factions and everything, sects and the founders understood this, right? They understood sect what happens with the sects that when, when they end up uh, being so divided on their assumptions about, well, what and who is man? What is our purpose? What's our aim, right? What is right and wrong? What is true and false? What is beauty? When all of these things, this worldview, when worldviews start to collide and you end up having a bazillion of them, you're having a real problem. And it's never, you know, na uh, uh, religion versus no religion when it comes to national religion. It's always which one. Mm -hmm. And for the American federal religion, it's funny because so many of these conservative people modern conservatives and, and people like that will drive around and they'll see a coexist sticker and they'll laugh at it. And I'm like, that is your federal government religion. And that was the religion of the founders on this. Yeah. First right? Amendment. It was, yeah. It's coexist. 
they're, they're, they, they advance this idea of we all just coexist and we're going to take a neutral position. It's going to work itself out. Magic hands, right? Not going to happen. Um, and what happens when you don't have the social fabric like he was talking about? The social, that culture, that religion that brings people together, the myth? Okay, take cancel culture. Look at, the, look at the past and say, growing up, I'm, you know, 43 years old. I'm getting old, right? And I remember somebody does something real bad. There was still enough Christianity in the social fabric that you would say, that person really messed up. That person, it reflects badly. It's a sin. Yeah. That person needs to do something. Get his life right with God. They might not say confession. They might not say this or that. But they're going to say, that guy needs to get his life right with God. I don't want to work with him, maybe. But I ain't going to call his boss. And I'm not going to uh, uh, give him a million demands and a lifetime of servitude as you're lashing him on the back with a whip. Like, that's fake. And so you, when you lose that, there's no redemption anymore. Because what religion are you going to base it on? What who has who? How many Hail Marys do you got to do? Who's going to say? And so when you don't have that anymore, that's toast. But the subsidiarity, the problem is, man, we started as a coup d'etat. You know, people should people should read Gary North, uh, uh, political polytheism. He has an entire section on the Philadelphia uh, Philadelphia conspiracy, where he goes into the history of how the founding of our nation was a coup d'etat, and and Lincoln with his Reconstruction put it on steroids right because now we see the federal government equipped now to go and say well we need to and this is of course after lincoln i want to throw him entirely under the bus on that but to say you know look look at the way this played itself out look at the way that that the federal government um began to require that people be reprogrammed and so the, a lot of the people talking about man it sucks that you know they're trying to reprogram us i'm not going to be reprogrammed but bravo for you and then they're like yeah, Lincoln was dope. And you're like, what? <laughs> How are you squaring that circle? How are you doing this? And we would have been better. It's the last thing. We would have been better, in fact, if we would have started with Hamilton's idea of president monarchs. Because the symbolism is bound to happen. At least it would have been preserved as a symbol, right? And, and instead, we ended up having this thing that, that wasn't even symbolic, really, that over time as, and throw it with Lincoln, as lobbyists and corporations begin to make their way and have their influence on the executive branch, it turns into what we have now, which is the power and the era and the reign of the Caesar. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, along with that social fabric, it reminds me of what Pius XII talks about in his Christmas dress, 1944, when he's, when he's contrasting like a, a cultural people that has a, a an understanding of itself and then this massive mob, which is just a plaything in the hands of the elites. And definitely what I see is when you base society as America did in 1776, you base it on freedom without any corresponding duty towards whatever you're free to do. It's just freedom in general. It's nothing really. There's nothing really pointing in any direction. Then there needs to be there's So there's no social fabric. There's no cultural uh, inclination towards God, towards a particular creed, then there needs to always be more power added on. Every few generations, they got to add more power to control people because their their cultural milieu on the local level is not controlling them and not teaching them to be moral and all that because they're just sort of disintegrating. So there needs to be more and more power as the system goes on. There needs to be more and more power from on high to control people. Because there is not that local culture, it's not that local cultus. So. Yeah, I'll I'll add 
I know it's not historically accurate, but that movie, The Patriot, uh, there's a fun line in there when he says, why would I care if I have one king 3,000 miles away or 3,000 kings one mile away? Um, and it's a really it's a really witty line. It's like, yeah, I mean, if, if whoever whoever's telling you what to do that you don't want to do, it's kind of the same. Um, but uh, in fairness, okay, in fairness to the American founding uh, and the it's it's a classical liberal coup d'etat against a against a burgeoning classical liberal civilization like a classical liberal monarch sort of thing um which is why you can hold these contradictory views at the same time because classical liberalism requires you to hold contradictory views in in some ways principles that are contrasting each other you have to hold them at the same time because that's that's what you have to do for coexistence in an amorphous sense so i understand why people are able to do that because they're going no 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 that was good re-engineering of society because it was American <laughs> versus this is bad because it's anti-American. I get the I get the logic of how somebody thinks like that. But I will also say this, <clears throat> just like when we're trying to understand constitutional documents, you know, it's like the constitution means this. Well, it's not scripture, okay? And there's not like a, there, it's not a, uh, there's no de fide understandings of how you're supposed to understand it. So it is contextual in a sense, and it's always going to be that. Um, you know, and Second Amendment, that's the gun rights, right? Second Amendment's guns. To get around that, like, okay, you could make the argument that obviously you're always allowed to have weapons, but you don't get to have a bazooka. There's, a, It's okay to say, well, they didn't know what a bazooka was, so maybe you're not allowed to have that. Those are So you have to take the context in there. Now, with regards to uh, the, the freedom was a sort of amorphous freedom. Well, it was in writing, but it wasn't in reality because yeah. – uh, Okay, sure, you have the freedom to go worship any religion you want. Well, that means you can be a type of Christian or agnostic. That's what that means in practice for them. So that's the context for it. Also, um, you know, uh, we don't have uh, marriage laws. So you can either have very, so in practice, extremely rare divorce done by your elders of your community or something, or no divorce at all. That's all that means you know, or 14 years old or 16 years old. That's like the, as controversial as it's going to get, you know, um, freedom as far as like education. Well, you can have uh, private education or state education, but state education was really the county schoolhouse system of like four or five different schoolhouses together. And it was not some major bureaucracy. So sure, there's an amorphous freedom that doesn't in writing does not give any protections 150 years down the road because of a technological revolution. However, in practice, it was implicitly understood what it meant to live a good life and how you had to operate. So uh, to give them a little bit more benefit, the last thing I'll say, um, it's interesting, the founders were big fans of, of, of Rome. Well, eventually the Republican idea in Rome falls and then you have to stab your brother in the back to take over power and then you have a hereditary sort of situation. Um, and we kind of see that sort of thing happening nowadays where the Republican idea has lasted for a couple hundred years to whatever work decently okay in a lot of cases but now the situation is basically untenable um on a national scale so it remains to be seen how um the strongman will arise and must inevitably historically speaking um uh, in some fashion so i'm, I'm anxious to see how that will play out I well, think that, it already that's has. a great that, yeah. that's a great uh, yeah. transition to discussing what is the future where do we go from here catholic families do we go off and become Amish, Catholic Amish? Do we build our own city in the desert, city on a hill, literally perhaps out in the forest or whatever? Do we secede from the Union? 
do we defend America and go into the political scene and get elected to Washington, D.C. and try to change things? Um, where do we go from here? That's the question. You know, I think maybe a mix of all of that. <laughs> no, it's a mix of all of I, I think that it's gotten to the point, and it's where my cynicism comes out a little bit, um, maybe a lot, is that I think we've gotten to the point where it's too big to stop. You know, if you look at history and you say, okay, let's look at every other high culture that trans that morphed into a civilization that morphed into this kind of Caesarism thing, right? With these Caesars and the rule of the Caesars. And I said, I think we're already there now that uh, people on the right wanted the strong man in Donald Trump. People on the left might say they don't, but look at what we've got. We've got a guy who just blam, 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 even the way he talks to his own supporters on the phone and said the way, I mean, he's just, people want to mock him for being weak he is literally functioning as a strong man even in that pathetic state he's in <laughs> which is remarkable and but he understands the apparatus so he knows how to play this game here's the thing um you know you look at it and you say okay can we fix it um I, I hear a lot of people i have a lot of friends i'm a delegate myself people will say well you should become a delegate or you should run for office that sounds dandy um, and they'll use the example. Uh, they'll they'll say like maybe you should get on the school board. That's going to make a big honking difference. And you go, you know, why do you assume this? And they say, well, it's a long game because that's how they took it over. And you go, okay, they being let's say the, the Marxists, right? The the wicked. So they take it over. Um, when did they begin that? And what was the school system at that time? And they're like, well, churches. And you're like, yeah, like super small. There weren't these massive national unions. There wasn't a bureaucracy that literally made it practically impossible. These power mongers did this on purpose and they started way back. So you can't go, well, I'm going to use the same tactic that was used at a time where the entry was into churches with no structure, no bureaucratic structure that made it practically impossible, you know, to, to stop them. And all it took was people organizing to begin creating layers and everything else that you had to ascend in order to even get to a place of changing anything. So the best we can do is say, well, let's change in the small little place over here. Well, that'd be great if maybe Lincoln lost. <laughs> I don't mean to be crazy about it, but maybe if Lincoln lost, then maybe that would be great. But you're wanting your cake and you're eating it too. You're saying, oh, Abraham Lincoln, mega dope, super awesome guy. And his, the consequences of it were great. And you go, it's literally impossible now for your little, little city. You can try and you'll get away with it for a while, but only on really limited things. Ask the Mormons, ask the Mormons say, you know, other than taking over an entire state, if you're just in a little area and you're like, Hey, I want to have a hundred wives, ask how that turned out and why there's so many people like the Romney family that had to go to Mexico in order to have a bunch of wives. So you go, this is where we are. Should we be more Amish? Probably. And I say that in a really strict sense to say not that we need to be entirely escapist, but that we need to begin looking at uh, things around us. Right. Especially things like technology that will be used in the advancement of whatever comes next, because there will be something that comes next. Everything. You know, I, I hate to wreck a party, but everything dies, <laughs> including civilizations. No civilization just lasted forever. Uh, and that's why Christ the King is so important. Because his does. His reign lasts forever. 
And so, but the thing is to reevaluate in light of our ultimate values, those things that we believe in or don't believe in and, and to, to really question, maybe to re-envision, uh, reimagine, reorient ourselves toward uh, founding principles that for a long time we have, like, like Kennedy said, it's not inspired, but I'll tell you, there's a bazillion Americans down here who believe it is. And they'll say, they'll say phrases like, well, you know, it's not the Bible, but I believe it's inspired. It's pretty darn close, you know, and they treat it like an infallible document. They do. And so they need, people need to go back and question that and reconsider and, and say, is that really my ultimate value? Do I really want to have a, a, Freemasonic, <laughs> uh, Newtonian theology coexist religion being my assumptions about moving forward, and am I going to die on the hill of trying to get back to those guys that's prince whose principles ultimately led us to where we are now? I don't think that that's not for me. So, yeah, I agree. Um, in a lot of ways, especially uh, it's like, should we be more Amish? Should we be more uh, build little urban communities? Should we be homesteading? Should we? Yes, we should be all those things because um, it depends on where you live. This is an annoying answer for people. So what should, well, it depends. Well, it does depend. Okay. Like if you live in a city, uh, I'll take an example. You know, there's a little town in Quebec where the district house, the SSPX is. It's, it's a perfectly easy little town to retrofit some sort of Catholicism in there because it was built for Catholicism. Okay. So sure. You could do that there. You have little shops, you have churches on every corner, you have church bells ringing. Uh, you have properties set up for large families, even though the rooms are small, but they were, you know, the urban French Canadian. So it was like lots of apartments in the same building. So you could all live together. You could do the whole thing there. Uh, parts of Toronto where the, where the Italians built in, in, in downtown Toronto, you could have an urban Catholic civilization there where you could have be self, where you could be reliant on one another. You could share value because that's what it's made for. You can't do that in the suburbs because the suburbs are anti-family essentially in the way that, you know, the, the dependency on cars and, and, you know, whatever, all these multiple incomes and so forth. So maybe there you do have to go out. I mean, we live around a bunch of Mennonites. We do that purposefully and we might one day go out and try to live pretty much near or in Mennonites uh, majority communities uh, because we know them. We buy food from them. We're friends with them. They're really uh, accepting. They never try to get us out of our popishness. We're not going to like go too far where we're, you know, doing the whole religion thing together. But if our house is beside your house and I get my stuff from you and you're modest and we're modest, whatever. Um, yes. Catholics should go out there and do that if they can. Um uh, some say, well, you should be farming. Farming is a massive operation and it's extremely expensive and it's hard to do and it takes a lot of expertise. Uh, so doing something like homesteading, are you capable of doing that? Most people probably aren't really in the place to do that right now or don't have the expertise or the know-how and not everybody has to. Uh, should we be Should we be um, um, uh, getting off of technology? Sort of. Depends on which technology you're talking about. Depends on how you're using it. Just a little side note. I bought one of those. It hasn't arrived yet, but I bought that life, that light phone, um, yeah. which I'm intrigued by. I'm waiting for it to come in. Yeah. Okay. I sit in front of a, a desktop for seven, eight hours a day. That's enough Twitter. I'll see the desktop at another point. And, you know, as I'm going through the kitchen, I can send a tweet or something. I just need texts, podcasts, and phone calls. I don't need more than that on my phone. Mm -hmm. So de facto, I will, I will, um, uh, detach a little bit from technology. Um, but at the same time, uh, Maximilian Colby used the radio so that he used a new technology to fight against the Freemasons. So it's a matter of prudence. It's a matter of where you live. And it's a matter of how can you have a quality of life and live a Christian life wherever you are. If you have to move, Providence will make this clear that you do have to move. 
Um, but it's not always the case. And again, it's a matter of prudence, which is the best answer I can give. I want to just add one thing man. that because I agree with him. I agree. But I think that a lot of times this discussion says, like, what should we do? And not so much what to expect and not not so much what to expect from our efforts, but what to expect on the outside. Right. Like the, the Amish, for example, they have a term. I, I think they call us the English. Right. Okay. So the English keep going about their stuff. And but they have to be at least somewhat concerned with, like, are they going to start coming in? Yeah. Are they what happens if they do? What do we do? These are conversations that people would really have to have because you would now have and you and you'd be in a really vulnerable place because because it's so small and because it's so fragmented and because so many even traditional people are still in the realm of like, let's go and do the voting thing and let's be a delegate and on a school board that w when they believe that you don't have our, our group would not have political power. Right. Strictly speaking. So we, we would not be a political unit. Whereas, whereas the government would be the the state would be a massive political union as it's destined, in fact, to be. It's bound to be at this point. There's no, I mean, those wheels are cranking, man. <laughs> it's, it ain't slowing down. And so the thing is, is we have to at least prepare ourselves to say, look, you know, rather than, you know, romanticizing things to say this would be a long game, and you're literally banking a little bit on the idea that our civilization will be like every other one. And what that and I think it's a fair bet to make, but that that civilization will get very large, very tyrannical and eventually fall into pieces, followed by a very long time of internal struggle to never return to the organic nature that the way that existed before. Yeah. And, and I'll say something different. I'll you know? say one thing that I forgot to say before I let you speak again, Tim. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, just like a Canadian. Yeah, we're so impolite. I'll actually, we are. Take... That's actually just a tiny side note. Canada like got way less polite and friendly under the Corona lockdown stuff. Cause everybody was an enemy because everyone was a virus machine that was going to kill you like a vampire in the night. Uh, so in the last year and a half, I am, I am so sad at how unfriendly my fellow Canadians have become to the point where it's just, it's like, that was one of the redeeming things we had Yeah. for now. It's not so annoying. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen something similar because America, I've been to Michigan multiple times. Michigan is generally a very friendly place. And I'm sure because of the masks and the distancing, you probably see something similar. One thing I will say though, should we get involved in national politics, local, federal, provincial? Yes. In a way that you can, if it's prudent for your life state. So Charles Coulomb always says this, uh, uh, do you need to have uh, a King to convert the people or do the people have to convert so they can be a kingly people? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like these are these are two ways that we've seen it happen. So uh, is is federal are federal politics a waste of time? They can be. But let's take Trump as an example for all the flaws the man has. Um, the Trump thing inspired the Patriot thing. The Patriot thing inspired the Trump thing. The Patriot thing is better than the anti-Patriot thing. Uh, should you do local politics if you can? Yeah, but I've tried to do I've done some local politics on the school board stuff, you know, teaching the system, whatever. It's as corrupt as Washington, D.C., just on a smaller scale. Um, so, hey, can you run for a local party? Are you going to win or in the federal? Maybe not. But do they have to let you at the debate on local television? And you can say what you want on TV? Maybe. And maybe that inspires somebody. Who knows? So it's going to be a matter of what can I do? Where can I uh, not have to cross a line in my conscience? And do I think it'll be effective or not? Maybe I'll win. Maybe I'll lose. But that's the same at every level. I, I And this is this is great because... 
there is not a particular answer in every case. Every situation is different. And, that, and that's kind of the subsidiarity that we're trying to reclaim because each subsidiarity, each locale is going to have a different setup. And that's as it should be. There cannot be subsidiarity unless each local place has its own setup for its own people that fits for them. That's what subsidiarity is. That's why there's smaller. there should be smaller countries. We have an American empire, mm-hmm. which is trying to rule over this vast uh, land mass bigger than the Roman empire without any culture. So I, the one universal that I would argue the universal, which is applicable in, in every case, uh, with a family is, and that is what I believe in is in restoring the family to the point where your, uh, your family lives together in a community with your aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa in the same community. And that is what allows you to have big families a lot easier because you have the support. And this is restoring the family as it was before, before the industrial revolution. And that's something you can do in a rural setting or you can do it in an urban setting, whatever setting it is. But I think that that is what's really natural. It's natural to have, your children and your grandchildren live nearby or in the same setting, same house, same community, and you help each other. And that's how families have always existed. But now we have this fragmentation. And even in the Catholic church, when we talk all about the family, we're only talking about the nuclear family, which is just a corruption of the the greater community. So I think raising our children to, to really, give them the support that they need so that we can, we can have this generate generational family structure that, and restore that natural. I, I think that is the thing that will really endure the, the breakup of the American empire or they take over further or tyrant tyranny, whatever it is. When you have that, that depth of cohesion, I think within the family, so that your sons and your daughters want to live nearby and live together and work together. That's the type of, I think, cohesion that really lasts and it really is resilient against the Marxists. Yeah. Final thoughts, anyone? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that, you know, and that that's the difficulty, isn't it? You know, that we, we live in a world where even a lot of people who say family first are divorced. Um, and maybe even worse, of course, remarried. And so the thing is, is you, you live in a world where, uh, even traditional people are like, well, I'd like to have two kids. They're presupposing birth control where largely traditional people will say, well, you know, I, I believe abortion. We need to overturn Roe, but we need to make those exceptions. You know, they take kind of the Mormon line on stuff and, and where, their family structure, modern, uh, modern women. And I don't, I don't mean to be too, too mean toward the ladies, you know, but so many modern women are, are just under this assumption that of course they can have their cake and eat it too, as well to say, well, I, I want to have uh, this number of kids and I, but yet I want to, I want to go to school and get my degree and I'm going to go and I'm going to work this many hours a day and everything else. And that, uh, you know, I'm going to get what I want out of that. And so you have all of these underpinnings of, traditional families and traditional communities with traditional families and the church being at the core of that. And, and those underpinnings were based on a number of assumptions that led to a number of practices. 
um, including customs, courtesy, you name it. And those underpinnings and those assumptions are toast. They're just, they're, they're toast. Even for so many in the traditional community, you know, it, it's just true. And so, you know, I, I don't mean to be too pessimistic about it because I think that is the answer. But I think that, you know, I, I told somebody recently, you know, I said, uh, you know, I think that in a different conversation, I said, I think that um, the church has been worse about teaching demonology in a world where horror exists and where people can use that and say, well, people don't believe in horror. Then journalists have been about reporting the mass murder exists in a world where slasher movies exist. Hmm. And I said, so I said, I think it's the same thing about family. I think that we've done a really good job at pointing out one prong of the this kind of argument. It's almost transcendental, right? To say, um, pointing out the the failures of the opposing views, the reaction videos, trolling, going on Twitter. It's easy to say, look at this crazy loon bird, right? Look at what they're doing. But then to sit there and say, what are, what's your alternative then? What's your worldview? How are you proposing that modern men and women ought to live? How should you parent? How should you live in a world that's literally gotten to the point where in, in all possibility, it's beyond your control and so, you may never bring it back. You're right. And um, this is what the devil does, takes truisms and then perverts them. So that whole, with that Clinton statement takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. That's actually kind of true. Uh, but we go, no, that's a communist Clinton Marxist Freemason. No, but it's true. But they uttered a truth so that you would reject it. If you were a conservative traditional person. Mm -hmm. um, and in a world where, well, let's put it to you this way. Uh, the nuclear family uh, is um, not sustainable only because historically you would have uh, high death rates amongst parents and having to go away and things like that. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be sustainable to think we're going to have a two person income for the next 35 years for retirement because there was no such thing. So um, it, and grandparents might die young and so on and so forth. So is it the multi-generational family? Sure. But it's more of the village, mm -hmm. you know, every civilization that's ever lasted for a long time has literally villages. You can call them it specifically, um, or they, or, or, or they're just sort of a de facto village, but you have to have a village. So for traditional people, um, and again, the Mormons show us this, it functions for them. A false religion, but gives them a, a huge arena for human thriving because of the, the natural law principles that they uphold as far as how they congregate and organize their communities. Um, you have to have a village to raise your child in the traditional sense of living in villages. And so today, that's going to mean um, finding the like-minded people um, because if you want to have a bunch of kids or be open to a bunch of kids, whatever God gives, that that's, that's up to him. But if you want to be open to that, um, you might not be able to rely on grandma and grandpa because grandma and grandpa are of the generation where they contracepted and decided that uh, the whole traditional thing shouldn't be the case anyway. So grandma still works until she's 72 years old. She's not there to be a uh, day in, day out caregiver grandma because that's not the way that she set things up. So maybe some lady at church who's been living the traditional life is and she's, and she's close enough that, you know, dad gets stomach flu, mom's pregnant. We got to drop the kids off somewhere like that. Well, modern society doesn't, afford you those types of options which is why people are so scared of having so many children is because they're like holy crap what happens if x y and z happens we literally can't do anything about it whereas the whole village mentality is we're all on the same page here um you knock on my door at eight in the morning because your wife's going into labor and your son broke his arm <laughs> whatever happens you just knock 
put them in my house and you don't have to say why i'm just like well they've obviously got their reasons um you have so you have to build the, the traditional village um uh, just like all the communities that have lasted and um it's tough because at a lot of traditional parishes people drive into them because they're searching for that um so it might be sort of a village by proxy um more of an ideological village but you're gonna have to find a way to do it nonetheless you know i wanted to bring this up maybe you know you guys would know more about it um my my sister is eastern orthodox right and people please pray for her she has been in a battle with cancer for uh, many years about three years now um and it's it's gotten much worse she's actually doing radiation and stuff right now which she said she would never do right it was like one of those things but it came to the point where it was advancing in the brain so badly uh, she's not allowed to drive right now because uh, she could black out and there's a lot of things so please pray for her but during this whole experience i've seen something rather remarkable and that is that their community here is very you know you've got matushka and you've got you know all these d different uh, people that come in if she's on medications and stuff they come in and they help out around the house and things like that and they're they're very intimately involved and part of what i was wondering is um is it because of their awareness maybe um and i, I guess i'd have to know more about how they function in societies that are largely eastern orthodox <laughs> that that do they function in a way in places where they are not the predominant religion um that is more cohesion because it's it's an ideological one it's a religious one that says we need to find each other and and create this thing rather than if you're the dominant one, you say, well, we, you know, we, we are controlling politics in, in large part and we've put up social programs. Why don't you go do that? Right. Kind of a thing. And if maybe if that's true, and I, that's why I said maybe you guys can help me with this. If that's true, that that tends to happen more when communities feel that they're on the outs and they're not in power. If maybe, strategically speaking, this is a little Machiavellian maybe, but strategically speaking, it's one of the, the benefits of, of talking about the, the uh, modern situation we're in where we do not have access to that power and where it may not, in fact, be likely that we will again for a long time. That it may, in fact, ca cause people to begin to think more in terms of rather than, well, let's do this mechanism and this one. What's my responsibility? Is there somebody local, like literally up the road, that I can go and help that's part of my group for that group cohesion on a local level? I just, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't have, I don't have a, a, a solid answer on that. And I don't want to be playing puppet master with people's ideas and stuff. But, I, but it's something I was wondering and it's something that I saw. I'll, I know you got to wrap up, Tim. I'll just say a bunch of my buddies are Eastern Orthodox. I think it's largely ethnic, to be honest. Um, it's an ethnic community that they act like that in Serbia and places like that. So then when you go into it, you kind of become almost kind of like the ethnicity in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the ethnic identity is huge. Still among the Orthodox, in my experience in America, um, there's still in most parishes that I've been a part of as an Eastern Orthodox, there's there's half of them are first or second generation immigrants. They still speak the languages. Half of them are converts and so there's this strong ethnic identity and when you have the ethnic identity like we've been talking about you have the social co cohesion you have that shared culture customs religion all of those things and you have this situation where you're going to help people who are in need in your community as a uh, a duty it's something you do without thinking so 
But that's all the time we have. We're going to wrap up. Uh, so once again, Jeremiah and Kennedy will be broadcasting live on Union of Catholic or Upload, etc. So stay tuned for that. Uh, this week we have um, Friday. I think it's Friday. Where's my calendar? <clears throat> yes. So Friday we have Introduction to Scotism with Father Christian Caps. That'll be a great show. If you don't know what Scotism is, okay. tune in Tune in on Friday, and it's going to challenge the Thomists. Uh, and, How dare you? How dare you, Tim? You can yes. only be a Thomist <laughs> and be a traditional. It's not possible. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Thomism is, is Catholicism is Thomism. And uh, <laughs> so we'll talk about that. That'll be good. And uh, so Kennedy and Jeremiah will be coming on the show themselves, and then make sure to sign up for the Crusade channel below, the link for Kennedy's show. And once again, the America and Americanism playlist has some good stuff on that, too. There's a great debate on there between Timothy Gordon and Ryan Grant that we were pleased to host. And there's some other discussions on there. So take a look at the playlist. In the meantime, please support Meaning of Catholic, patreon.com slash Meaning of Catholic to support the apostolate. So let's offer up a pater noster for the intention of all of our families, in, in, as we've discussed here, which is building the Catholic city and building it according to the dictates of the church so that our children can grow up and have a, a Catholic culture using the means that we have to restore the, the family um, in, in whatever way we can. So let's offer up in our father for that intention. In nomine Padre, sit fidi, spiritu sancti, amen. Pater noster, qui es in cedis, sanctificeto nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cedo et in terra. Panem nostrum, quotidianum da nobisodie, et emitte nobis de vita nostra, sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris, et nos unducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et fidi, spiritu sancti, amen. Jesus is king.